Welcome to the series on the book of Acts, Advancing and Changing Through the Spirit. This is the second in the series, Acts 1, 6-11, The Kingdom Plan and Purpose. First preached at Oakland International Fellowship in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This has been produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net, releasing God's life-changing truth to a new generation. This is the second in a series on advancing and changing through the Spirit, a message on Acts. And today we're going through Acts 1, 6 to 11, the kingdom plan and purpose. The kingdom plan and purpose. Acts is such a wonderful book that just unfolds before us a way we approach life. Uh, perhaps you can call it a kingdom mentality. Today we'll be talking about that a little bit more as we go on. As I begin, though, I want to talk about what I call a postmodern disjunction or disconnect, if you would. I was talking to an atheist, I think last week, and he's studying microbiology and things, and I, I was just saying, the things you're studying, you know, more and more we can look into the design of things. But he was so insistent that, no, you know, you're saying maybe a God made these things. And yes, I agree. The more I study, the more design, the more order, everything that seemed to imply a designer. But he was insisting, no, it's all by chance, all by chance. But it's true in a lot of areas in our postmodern society where people are not putting the facts together. Uh, just think of how popular it is, uh, seem, seemingly popular anyways. There's a guy that's a male, but somehow he feels like he's a female. There's a disconnect somehow. You know, no matter what he might feel about himself, anybody, a three-year-old could tell, this is a guy, not a girl. But it's something that we just can't put the facts together. We're unwilling because we're pursuing a certain mentality in our life. In our own world, you know, we have a designer, a design, we have a design, we have a purpose, we have a purpose, we have a responsibility. That disconnect that comes down the middle, that kind of separates those things from us, perhaps is what people are looking for in terms of, I can do anything I want without any repercussions. But actually, there's also what we call a spiritual disjunction or disconnection, if you would. I find it's happening in our life. We have the Holy Spirit, we have a mission, but right in the middle is a disjunction. You know, there's, there's something there that it's just not put together. There's areas in our life that we really don't know how to join together. Let me give an example. The Holy Spirit is given to us so we have power. He's given us to equip us, that power, that design. The mission is the plan, what God wants to accomplish. But on one hand, you know, some people will think about, oh, I'm a Christian now, things are nice, God gives me his spirit, and they focus on a self-fulfilled life. I want a good life. I want a nice house. I want a nice life. I want everything convenient, good for me. But they separate that from the plan. There's a disconnect from reality. For the Holy Spirit was given for what purpose? So we could carry out God's plan. There's the other side to it, too. There's those who say, 
focus on our own mission, the plan. They're very task-oriented. We're going to do it. We're going to accomplish it. And they, they focus on their self-confident plans, the responsibility, the, the things that they can do. And they focus so much on their own resources that they really don't connect up to what God has given them in the Holy Spirit. God, what did he say? He said, you wait, you wait until the Holy Spirit comes. But we want to go ahead and we just, we can do it. I find it interesting. I was reading from about James Dobson and he was writing to his readers how, you know, this summer he said, you know, I'm not going to really be encouraging. I want to let you know, I'm not going to be encouraging you to write to your governors and, and people because I don't think it's going to make any difference. It's gone way beyond that now. There's too much power. It's too concentrated. We have to turn to prayer. Now, I'm not saying he does this, but uh, it's very typical. A lot of times we do everything but pray. I want a better marriage. I need to fix up our marriage. I, I don't know how I'm going to handle this pressure at school, the, the tension at work with my uh, boss. I don't know how to deal with it. We do everything. You know, uh, late at night, we're thinking, thinking, thinking. But we don't pray. We don't pray. And so we use our own resources, but we just don't know how to put it together. And I'm, when we look at these verses today, we're going to put them together and find out that when we actually put the power along with the plan, the design along with the responsibility, that we will find a very healthy church, a very healthy individual, family, whatever it might be. We realize God has bestowed the very best of the Holy Spirit in our life that we might accomplish great things for his work. As we continue, let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you so much for your gifting us of the Holy Spirit and for calling us our attention to your plan, the mission. And Lord, we pray in the great name of Jesus that you would break down any disconnect in our own life. Anything that would hold us back from joining those together, Lord, and seeing why you made us, why you called us your own, why you equipped us with the Holy Spirit, why you gave us a plan. And Lord, we know there's many worldly temptations, many distractions, so much self-confidence. But Lord, we want to reject all these things and we want to obtain the greatest that you have for us. Not as we just heard, not because we are so deserving or so well off on our own, not by any means. It's just the opposite. We don't have what we need, but you have given that to us in the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we ask now, Lord, that you might cleanse us from any sin, that your Holy Spirit might be working in our life and help us to pay, be so attentive to your great and wonderful ways that we could actually, each one of us, could actually see your plan, your mission worked out in our individual lives. In Jesus we pray. Amen. I think it's actually pretty good that we have a message like this today because uh, I know many people are graduating, they're getting married, they're kind of going through different places in their life. And it's certainly great to see, wow, we've got to put these together. How are we going to do that as a married couple? How are we going to do that as uh, I, I just graduated or I'm going on to a new job? And so the way we need to look at this is that there's a designer and he has a design. 
Okay, he has a purpose why he made us. That design leads to a purpose. Why he made us, why he gave us the Holy Spirit, that purpose leads us with a whole responsibility. So in a proper way, there's no disconnect here. It's how the power and the plan work together. It's what God gives to us, and therefore we say, wow, I'm responsible to maximize the Holy Spirit's work in my life. And so our question is, how am I going to do that? Or how are we going to do that? Or how we as a church will be able to do that? And we say, wow, we want to do that. How are we going to do that? So let's look at Acts 1, 6 to 11. I'll read it. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, Jesus, this is after his resurrection from verses 1 through 5 that we looked at last week. Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which a father is fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. Now, these are angels. They weren't really men, were they? And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go to heaven. So we'll be looking at three main points here. The Lord's great plan, verses 6 to 8. The Lord empowers his people, verse 8. And then the Lord's united design, trying to bring together that plan and that power. Okay? Uh, So we're going to look at the plan. We're going to look at God's power, the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to look how God combines these two. So let's look at the Lord's great plan. Verses 6 to 8 here. I'll first look at verse 6 to 7. And we see that what happens is the disciples have come to Jesus. And Jesus, perhaps they don't know this yet, but they were asking something, all the questions they could ask Jesus after his resurrection. Wow, you know, this is the time to ask him all these hard questions. And what do they ask him? The only question that they say that was recorded here that they asked Jesus was, is it at this time you are restoring kingdom, the kingdom to Israel? Is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? This is so interesting. Because you realize before Jesus died, they were asking the same question. And in fact, it's because of their concentrated focus on this one question that really got them to be so discouraged in the end. They had their plan. They knew what it would be like. But when they found out it wasn't that way, every last disciple turned away from Jesus when he died. They were discouraged. They were just totally thrown out. I said, how could this ever happen? I would say in the same way, a lot of us have our own plans of what life is going to be like. We know what it's going to be like, and that's what we're planning. It's a presumption in our mind. This is what I want for my life. We want to enjoy God's benefits. We want to find a good church, have a good family. This is the way so much we think. It was somewhat what these disciples were asking. Jesus is alive now. The cross is passed. 
But notice that they're still asking the same question. The question is, turns around to focus on their own life. When are you going to restore everything perfect? And we're going to be with you, Jesus. We're going to be up on those thrones. And, you know, we're going to have everything just like we always wanted. But when we have our own assumed plans for our life, we're going to come up with misshaped expectations that lead to great disappointment. Every last time. The reason is we have the wrong plan in our mind. That plan shapes us and makes us think and approach life in a certain way. And when it doesn't quite go that way, what happens? Well, we don't know what's God up to. We're very disappointed, reject, feel rejected. The Lord does have a great plan. But Jesus said, it's not for you to know times or epochs which a father has fixed by his own authority. He was just saying, guys, you were asking me this before I died. Now you're still focused on it after I'm alive. Can you not ask me what I have for you? You know, what do you want us to do? But instead, they still insist on this in their life. Can you just pause for a moment in your own life? What would you like to happen in your own life? Are you still asking those self-focused questions, how I can have this or that in my life? I want to be this kind of student. I want that kind of job. I want that kind of family. I want that kind of... Can you think in your own mind? Do you have some of those plans in your own mind? Because if you do, you need to spot them and realize this is not the basic plan pattern for our lives that God has. These are unbiblical. Unbiblical. Not that he doesn't want us to enjoy life. But there's a plan that goes underneath this that is so important. And we just looked at this chart. But how are we going to get rid of that disappointment and instead focus on what God wants? Now, Jesus came back alive in verses 1 through 5. And Jesus was there trying to direct them to what he wants. In verse 8, he says, But you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So Jesus said, don't think this way. I want you to think this way. You are going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. That's where they, well, actually, at that point, they weren't even Jerusalem, I don't think. All Judea, Samaria, and the remotest part of the earth. This is my plan. I am doing something in your days that is going to be so fantastic. But you have to recognize what my plan is. This is your plan because I've given you this plan. So the first thing we need to do is reject those false notions. Discover God's revealed plan. As he says here in verse 8, you're going to be my witnesses. And embrace God's expansive plan. What does it mean for your life? Have you first realized this is what God is doing? Above all things that are happening on the earth, with all the political systems, with all the ec economical uh, disasters or uh, problems with swine flu and, and all sorts of things. Or should I just throw in also the, with graduations and busyness of life and, and things like this. But, you know, beside all those things, underneath is God doing something very wonderful and great. And he says, but you shall be my witnesses. You. This is the kingdom, Christian. 
This is the one who has a mentality about grabbing hold of what God has designed us for. And I want us to just quickly look at here because people might say, well, wasn't he speaking to the apostles? He's not speaking to me. Well, I just wanted to give you a couple reasons why I think actually he was speaking to all of us. First of all, it wasn't just the apostles there. At least in the upper room, we find that there were 120 Christians at that point. Second of all, it wasn't just the apostles that were speaking in foreign languages. We'll look at this at a later time in chapter 2. No, no. It, this is the, by the way, when they spoke in foreign language, this was a mark that the Holy Spirit was on their life. At significant times in the book of Acts, and we'll look at this uh, soon, a couple more passages, we're going to find that when God was doing something significant to show that they had the Holy Spirit, he would give them the gift of tongues and perhaps healing. Uh, thirdly, we find that many were witnessing who were not in the original scene. Oh, we could think of Stephen. We could think of uh, Apostle Paul, who was Saul then and still the persecutor. A lot of different people. I mean, not just Paul. I mean, we, Aquila and Priscilla and so many witnesses spread through all of the kingdom. He wasn't just talking to those who were just there. And as we look at Acts 1.8, we find that the sign of the Spirit of God were not only here in Jerusalem, but it was on, not only in Judea, Samaria, but even the far remotest parts of the world. The Spirit of God was working in all sorts of people. Now, God's speaking to us, too. And you have to say, well, if I'm going to be his witness, how am I going to do that? Let's look a little bit more here, uh, just so you get a little more grasp of this. And first thing, you know, he said in Jerusalem, which is, of course, just one main city where the temple was at that time. But Jesus did not stop there. He said Judea, Samaria, which would include all the Palestine going up to the bottom of Syria there. It would include Samaria would also include half Jewish people. And half Gentile. And then he said the remotest part of the earth. Which, of course, this map doesn't have here. But in their minds, at that point, this was the remotest part of the world, and God was doing just marvelous things in their life. But it does show us very clear what God is doing and what plan God has for our own lives. And so as we look at this, Acts 1.8, it actually becomes an outline for the whole book of the Acts. And Acts 1-7 through is the origins of the kingdom of God. This is where what's happening in Jerusalem. In Acts 8 through 10, we find there's transitions within the kingdom of God. When it was began to go out to Samaria and Judea, the gospel, not just in Jerusalem. And lastly, we find the expansion of the kingdom of God right from chapter 11, right to the end of the book. And so this verse 8 is actually something Luke, the writer, is very using it as an outline for all the things that he's recording. One of the things that touches me most is when I go to different places of the world and see what God's doing. I, I, it, it's, it, it goes beyond my mind. For, for many, many hundreds of years, a people was not reached. Then all of a sudden, you know, scores of churches. Churches are doubling every, every year. And the Spirit of God is mightily working across these people. All to the farthest parts of the world. I was just talking to one couple who were out in 
far western China, closer to the Soviet Union. And here's this minority group. They didn't know of any Christians in this minority. But when they left, they found out a whole lot of them. People were coming to know the Lord. And it's just so wonderful because if you go over the mountain region there, or you go south or north or east, well, the gospel's already reached there. You see, God is accomplishing his plan. And we have to think back, how can we as individual or us as a church, maybe we as a cell group, how can we further God's work so that it's totally completed? Let's just look here at Acts 8. I'm just trying to support here how God was showing that he was not just working with Jewish people and the Jewish fulfilled who recognized the Messiah, uh, because those were the holy people who had the scriptures, right? But in Acts 14 to 17, it says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming to them in that city. And there was much rejoicing. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive of the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So very, very pointed. He was just trying to show here the Holy Spirit was going to work even with these Samarians, these half-Jews. God was not just working with the, the holy people in that sense. He was going to work among these Gentiles. It reminds us very much of what Jesus said in John 4, 23. An hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. The same thing happened in chapter 10 when it talks about the Gentiles. The Spirit of God came. And so halfway down here, it says, Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. In other words, they received the Spirit of God. They were speaking in tongues. These are totally what we call non-Jews, not even half-Jews, Gentiles. And the Spirit of God came on them. And so this forms the outline of what God was doing. And we are part of this book that is, happens to still be written. It's happening all over the world. It's God's great plan. He's working. Now again, the working, the giving of the spirit of tongues in the book of Acts is the pointed display that God has given them the Holy Spirit. So Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10. But God is trying to show this is all one thing that's happening. He didn't want to start different denominations. He didn't want to start a church for the Gentiles, a church for Samarians, a church for the Jews. He said there's one church. And he was just showing that this is one progressive thing that was happening. So this is the Lord's great plan. And let me ask you, do you believe and live out false plans? What is your plan that you're trying to live out for your life? What is the thing that really makes you go, work hard, think, pray, dream? What are you making money for? I'd say that if underlying you don't have this thrust in your life, then you have some unbiblical plans and becomes idolatry. Instead, have this kingdom vision in your heart. Be a kingdom Christian. And start asking God, wow, you have me part in this plan. 
Right now you're doing wonderful things around the world. What do you want to do through my life? So do you fully support God's great enterprise with your own life? Let's go on and think about verse 8 here. Equipping God's people. But you shall receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see what he's saying? This is the design. When we look at ourselves and say, well, God invested the Holy Spirit. God himself lives in our lives. We have to say, he must have some purpose. Not just so we can be comfortable. Not just so we can be filled with the Spirit. Joyful, loving. He gives us the Holy Spirit that we can reach out. You see, get the connection. You shall receive the Holy Spirit when it has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. This is the way he connects the power, the design, with the purpose. Let me just go over a few verses reminding us of the Holy Spirit's work. In John 14, 25 to 26, he says, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. The Holy Spirit's working. How conscious of are you of how the Holy Spirit works in your life? Again, in John 16, 7 to 10, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And so what's interesting here, he says, Jesus was saying, this is before his death, in the upper room, he said, I have to go away, and then I'll send the Holy Spirit. So let me go through this with you. God was working among Gentiles. He's working among us. Probably most of us are Gentiles, the way we call non-Jews. The Holy Spirit's not just for apostles, and not only for those who saw the resurrected Christ. He lives inside every genuine Christian. And the Holy Spirit can and will work the same way in us now who believe in him. And when you're wondering how to witness, or maybe you're thinking how scared you are to witness and to tell about the glory of God working in your life, you need to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit because he's there. And you always thought, focused on yourself, oh, I have to do it. I'm not clever enough. I'm not bold enough. I don't have a, a testimony or whatever it might be. Don't look at it that way. What he's saying is, I've invested the spirit in you, and just ask him for words to say. Ask him for wisdom, and he helps. So as we think here and apply this, the Lord empowering his people, part two, do you have the Holy Spirit? Are you a genuine Christian, or are you just a religious shell? Christian on the outside, but don't have the Holy Spirit that gave you a new heart to love the things of God. If so, you need to come to know the Lord. Turn from your sin, believe in him, and he will give you his spirit. Are you scared at living out your faith in this world? Be better acquainted with the spirit of God. You don't feel like there's any power? Go back and join, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but join the power with the plan. Don't just say, oh, I want to feel the Spirit. No, 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 no. Think, God, what do you want me to do with the Spirit? 
What are you going to equip me for? Why am I specially made? Why are you working in my life? What gifts have you given? And as we begin to ask the right questions, we begin to see we can step back and let the Spirit of God take a more dominant place in our lives. Let's look at the last part, verses 9 to 11, the Lord's united design. 9 to 11, and after he had said these things, again, Jesus is still speaking. He was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. Well, this has great implications here. What were the angels trying to say? What were these two men in white? What was their point? I think their point was saying, you can't sit on the sideline, guys. How long are you going to stay here and wait for Jesus to come back? You're going to be here for a year? Two years? Three years? Isn't he basically saying, I've given you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the world. I think in the same way, he doesn't want us just coming to worship service. He's trying to say, no sitting on the sidelines. Every believer is an active participant in my kingdom. So let me just graph this out. Jesus Christ came down to earth. He died on the cross. 33 years old, right? Then he went back into heaven. We looked at it in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. That's what we just read. He came alive. And the Holy Spirit, he says, when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down. This is what we find happens in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes in a very special way among God's people. Even though it was very significant in that event, that was marking the beginning of a whole new era and the way God would work in our lives in a different way, empowering every believer. That doesn't mean we all see the tongue of fire in our heads. That was one incident that did happen. But that the Holy Spirit would actively be working in our lives is something that is ongoing. Now, because the Holy Spirit is something, someone that's not seen, it's easy to ignore, especially when we have all the computer screens in front of us, the iPods on. And we get so many sources coming. I was just talking to someone yesterday how difficult it is to carry Christian disciplines out in our day. Why? Because you have to be quiet. You have to be still. And we, didn't, we don't know what it's like to be still. I mean, it's, it's like torture. But we realize actually the Holy Spirit will begin speaking when we quiet down and start asking. And it's so hard. It's so hard. I myself, I have to get up early purposely, not listen to phones, not look at emails, not read a newspaper, not touch a book, and meet with the Lord. Every morning, at first thing, if I touch anything in the world, it becomes like a magic button, and all of a sudden, whoop, I warp out of my sensitivity to God, and, and it's really hard to talk to Him and listen, because I have so many things to do. It's just a discipline. But it's a discipline that's important because you say, yeah, God, I need to hear from you for today. 
It's your spirit working in me, helping me carry out what you want to carry out. See, Jesus will come back one day, probably very soon. And there's that time element, right? When the Holy Spirit came down on the earth, from when Christ will come back, and right now, every believer is responsible for actively taking part in God's kingdom work. And just because you're here and comfortable doesn't mean God hasn't enlisted you in his army. He has. And he's empowered you. And that is the most exciting thing we can have in our life. Now, this might be the first time you ever heard such a thing. And you're saying, wow. I don't know anything. I'm not a pastor. What are you talking about? I'm just trying to graduate. I'm just trying to get through my classes. I'm a busy parent. I, how can I think about God's kingdom? Slow down and meet with him. And he will begin to show you your part in his plan. Now, the misunderstanding of the Holy Spirit? Yes, there's many. Just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't not mean we're all of a sudden, ready for God's work, or that we're going to be perfect in doing his work. No, we need to study God's word. We need to grow each day. But that doesn't stop the Holy Spirit from working in us. We still might <laughs> sin, you see. But as we confess, we open the doors up for the Spirit to continue to use us. Nor having the Holy Spirit doesn't mean I'm going to be the perfect student, perfect pastor, perfect researcher. No. But we are confident that the Holy Spirit can empower us, will empower us to accomplish his will. And that is the focus, you see. What is God going to do through my life, through our marriage, through our church? And it doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to start speaking in tongues or you're going to be doing some wonderful miracles today. But the interesting thing, and I would also say here, it doesn't mean you won't. Because if you need a miracle done in your life or through your life to heal somebody, then he just might do that. Don't take your doubts and strip how God's spirit might work through you on the behalf of another. God wants to mightily work through us. When you open up your mind, God might use my prayer to help that person. Yeah, he might use my words as I share the gospel. He might convert that person. He might. And so we step back and let God work his plan through his spirits who, who's in us. And so we're not so much focused on ourselves or how great we are or how we're gifted. We're focused more how the spirit of God is accomplishing God's plan through our life. It makes such a difference. We don't get so haughty and prideful or so scared and fearful. Instead, we're focusing on God and giving him the glory. And seeing that he's carrying forth his plan. Let me just make a few summary statements and I'll close. God's kingdom is not expanding because of spiritual disconnection between God's power and plan. If you're focused on a, your plan and you cannot connect God's power with it, with his plan, then you have that spiritual disconnect there. And his kingdom will not grow through your life. That will absolutely stop it because you're focusing on getting something for yourself. He only gives so we can give more. The worldly Christian lives in ease and ignores the purpose of the Holy Spirit in their life. Are you a worldly Christian? Have a love affair with the world, what it can provide, 
Or are you the self-confident Christian who busily does God's plan, but apart from God's resources, no time to meet with God, I got too much ministry to do? Well, that's certainly not the pattern here. If you have that spiritual disconnect in your life, perhaps it's because you're not tuning in with God every day. But what's so special is that each of us can be his kingdom ambassador. At any time, we can break through. At any time, we can confess our sins. At any time, we can step back and say, whoa, I am going to go forward with God's plan. God, you teach me what you want to do, how you can use me, this little person here in this city, to accomplish God's great work. And so God's mighty power and purpose through the Holy Spirit is accomplished as we focus on him. And so we have the design. He's given us his Holy Spirit. We have his plan. And they work together to accomplish his work. We are responsible for responding to the Holy Spirit, keeping an open door there, so that we can carry out his kingdom plan. They all go together. Don't disconnect them. And when you find there's a problem in your life, maybe you're all disappointed, you realize you have a wrong plan. If you find there's no power, find that you're not meeting with the Lord. But step back. He hasn't said, oh, you're beyond my use. Not at all. He's ready to use you. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you so much for your marvelous and wonderful ways. Thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that you have worked in us, Lord. How can you ever give us the Holy Spirit in our life? Why would God ever make us your temple? We don't really understand this, Lord, except that you want to use us in expanding your kingdom. And I pray, God, that in every way, Lord, that we would repent from any way that we hold back your spirit from mightily working in us. And now, Lord, work in our lives. Cleanse us from our sin and make us those people who are ever zealous of your special plan in our lives. In Christ we pray. Amen. This concludes the message on the kingdom plan and purpose, Acts 1, 6-11. Please look for more resources at Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net.